Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Justin Dorfman. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So hi, my name is Justin, and uh, I'm an open source sustainer. And basically what that means is I'm always looking out for the maintainers of open source projects, making sure that they have resources they need to do their jobs. And uh, yeah, just been in the open source community for little over 10 years and just really been focused on that one thing. Uh, I started Bootstrap CDN in 2012. I ran it for eight years. We did like 4.3 trillion requests and 108 (laughs) petabytes of bandwidth. It was one of my, yeah, I mean, it was one of my biggest things. And, you know, it's really, really cool. Like it's happened three times so far is a student uh, or junior uh, dev would come up to me and say thank you for bootstrap cdn it made my it made everything so much easier and i was just like wow like that's pretty amazing so uh yeah if you use bootstrap cdn uh then that was the fruit of my labor (laughs) that's amazing yeah uh i mean i know we met probably i want to say maybe like 10 years ago Mm -hmm. you you know you have been in my mind very active the tech and open source communities. I know you did, you know, a lot of work with developers. We're at Sticker Mule. You certainly helped out JSLA. I know you've given a lot of talks when at JSLA. So I know you have definitely come in contact with a lot of developers, a lot of teams. And I I would assume maybe you've over the course of this time, you've developed some opinions about what makes developers successful, maybe some habits that, that make them less successful. So other than using Bootstrap CDN, like what really ensures a dev is able to be successful? You know, I think it's finding what you're great at. And for me, it was becoming a developer advocate rather than a developer, because as much as I liked I didn't love, but I really liked development. I just wasn't great at it. And what I was great at was finding, and, and you see this from time, you, you, this happens all the time. You know, you start uh, as a developer and then you turn into, you find like, hey, I'm, I'm really good at evangelizing, you know, my company and products. And so I'll be a open source evangelist, open source developer advocate, all those other things. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's really just finding what you're really great at. And if it's development and engineering, then you will definitely just move up the ranks. Uh but that's not the path I went. And what I learned is code is one part of the job, you know, and m- working with people and uh working with different teams and uh you know, not just your not just the engineering department, but you know, legal marketing you know all these all these cogs in the machine that really come together it's not all about just engineering yeah i mean it always makes me think of uh, the way that a lot of developers approach engineering is it, it's kind of like they go to the gym every day and they just skip leg day and yeah oh, that's a great <laughs> analogy yeah and uh they can wind up like very very strong very very capable but they wind up in situations where they have to work on a team they have to work with other developers they have to work with designers mm-hmm. they have to work with product managers and that's where 
the problems start. Or even if they go out on their own, they wind up uh, very hampered by their inability to communicate or write or do basic marketing or operations. Um, you know, it kind of helps, uh, like you say, to, to keep in mind that there's more to it than just the engineering. Yeah. It's a people thing. You know, that's, I guess my, my grandfather always said, he's like, business is problems and people. <laughs> you know, you're always, <laughs> yeah. if you don't have those, then you're just not going to have a, a good business because you're always trying to figure out answers to your, your problems and fixing them. And that's how you create an economy. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I learned because, you know, when I was really deep into developer uh, advocacy and um, open source evangelism at a company called MaxCDN, uh, I really siloed myself from other departments, including engineering. And it wasn't a good thing because for me, it was like I was, I, I thought, you know, well, I don't need anyone's permission to do what I want to do because it has, my efforts are generating, we're getting on Hacker News and all this other stuff. And as time went on, I realized like, wait a minute, you know, the finance department, I need them and treating them like, you know, dirt. Like a nuisance or something. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't need to give you my receipts. Just just I'll forward you the PDF, you know. <laughs> so it's like, you know, all those things and, and it kind of just comes up and then you just realize like, wait a minute, I need everyone here. Uh, for this to succeed. And, you know, I think it's just part of growing up, you know, you just realize like, hey, it it doesn't, the world doesn't revolve around you and your in your project in your department, you know, it's, it's a team effort. So yeah, it's a good, good lesson. Uh, Definitely a good lesson to learn. I want to go I want to go like a little bit like further back to to what you were saying about deciding that that development really wasn't your strong suit or really like what you wanted to double down on. What was it about? How did you come to that realization? And and mostly the reason why I'm asking is I feel like there's probably people listening that feel like they really don't have an option. Like and and I'm just kind of curious if you could share what the tells were for you. People can see some similarities. Yeah. So the tells for me was I kept screwing things up. So for instance, like <laughs> Like this was like way before like CI and CD were like a thing, but like I would push a config and, uh, you know, customers' graphs uh, wouldn't update for days, you know, and I would, I'd get written up and, you know, my boss came up to me, he's like, hey, I'm going to give you a promotion and you're going to become a developer advocate. I was like, oh, (laughs) wait a minute. What does that mean? He's like, well, you know, you'll be like in marketing and, and also work with developers. And I was like. Oh, okay. That sounds good. So yeah, I mean, it just came down to the point where I hit the peak of my development career and it wasn't that good. You know, it just, but it it was, it was a great thing because I, I've always been able to talk to developers about their stack or just anything like for hours on end. So for me, it was just like a natural like transition. Uh, But at first I was kind of, I wasn't hurt. I was just like, what, you know, like, this is what I want to do. And you're kind of like, but then, you know, looking back at it, it was like the best decision because, you know, I, I got to, I really, honestly, I made a huge impact, you know, like with the company, with the community, you know, just developers. Like if you used raw Git, like 
I, we powered their CDN, you know, and when I was at Sticker Mule, like JSLA and other, you know, <laughs> yeah, like every, the, every conference. Like, yeah. Ever, like, yeah. Every conference over every laptop. Yeah. 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 Python Software Foundation. Like I, we really made an effort to uh, make sure that the open source and development communities were taken care of. And that's, I couldn't have done that in Vim, you know, and, and get like, that just wasn't my calling. And when I found my calling, which was through failing, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I think a lot of people are just, or, you know, especially juniors coming up, uh, you're, you're going to fail and you're right. going to screw up like sometimes big time. And it's just part of life and just growing and uh, don't feel like you are, it, you know, it's going to define the rest of your career. You know, it's just, it just is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always think of it as like, you can't really get good at certain types of video games without dying. In the yeah. Like, it's just kind of how you, how you learn and, and trying to play so carefully that you, I don't know, never die. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, that's, that's another great, I don't know if that's a metaphor or an analogy. I keep screwing it up, but it's one of those. But yeah, you know, another thing was to talk about defining careers is like when I was at a company called Mahalo, it was a startup in Santa Monica. And the, our oh CEO and founder, he, he, he's, his name's Jason Calcanis. Like he's a big angel investor and, I was in charge of his newsletter and he used a very old school mailing list thing. And I screwed up another config. I screwed up and basically anyone was able, the millions of people that were subscribed to his list were able to uh, respond to each other, you know, (laughs) and it made TechCrunch. I mean, TechCrunch wrote about it. And I was like, my my life is over. Like I was expecting the next day coming in because he called me at four in the morning. He's like, what the F did you do? You screwed everything up. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to fall asleep again. But you know, when I got to change my name, like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm thinking like, (laughs) okay, I'm going to walk in, they're going to fire me. And it was just the opposite. You know, he was, he was actually cool about it. He's like, like, it's not your fault. It's our fault for not checking, you know, because I came in as a junior uh, systems administrator, DevOps, whatever you want to call it. But Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's going to be those times. I mean, hopefully you won't make TechCrunch for the wrong reasons, but you know, I, I definitely thought my life was over, but it wasn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to say it's not like you brought down all of Facebook for six hours with a you know broken config, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think just this week, um, yeah, one of my clients, uh, a developer, caused an outage to, to all users for a little while, and. Kind of to your point, is it his fault? Like, was it was it his fault? It's like, well, I mean, kind of. No. But his mistake got past the developer who reviewed his code. And then it got past QA. And then it got past exactly. the engineering manager who deployed his code. So there's, you know, a lot, like, is it really the goalie's fault that the other team scored a point? It's like, there's a lot of other players in between the goalie and it's the system is really i think what's important and so when something like this happens sorry i'm going a little bit on a on a tangent but i think it's important for for the listeners to know that no go from for it management's good. point of view uh, so you got their shit together but from a management point of view it 
really shouldn't be about the individual developer who makes a mistake and causes an outage. It should be more about the system that allows it to happen. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And I, that's Amazon's kind of stance on it, um, where it's like, you know, a developer, I think, brought down S3 for a couple hours. And, you know, they're like, it's not the developer's fault. It's our fault for allowing it to happen, you know, pro- programmatically. So, um at that type of if you were working for a company that is blaming you for things that should have been checked not just by humans but machines no i think your the goalie is exactly right you know it's it's not the goalie's fault that the puck went in it's not like he wasn't trying he or she wasn't trying you know it was just it happens people are good at getting <laughs> things past the goalie yeah, the goalie had a lot of help getting scored on right. by the rest of the team. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I'm also just imagining, like, imagine you have a spaceship with a self-destruct button. It's like you kind of want that hidden behind glass with like a key and all of this stuff, not like a gigantic red button, like in the middle of the floor that anyone can like step on, right? Like the design of the system and how easily you allow those mistakes to be made is as much or more uh, than just the person pressing the buttons, who designed the system and where, like how that can then. So, okay, so I, I'm kind of curious. Okay, so you didn't get fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything was fine. Mm. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got some press out of it, right? It was probably a net positive. Oh, right? yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what was the question? I, I totally cut you off. Oh, no. I mean, I was just kind of curious, like from there, like what? was the learning or what was the takeaway? I mean, you 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 realized that you can make mistakes and was that something that you took with you or did you just was that more evidence that like hey, I shouldn't really be be doing these things? Um, you know, the the thing I learned from there was I should have not as been as cocky as I was and just, you know, Went, I was a junior, like that was in my title. I was a junior uh, systems administrator before DevOps was like a word. And I didn't go behind my boss's back, but I was basically like, I got this, you know, and they, they let it slide because I was doing good on other things. But, you know, I should have respected, you know, and just been like, hey, you know, I made this change. Can we check it together? And as opposed to just, I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing don't bother me kind of thing. And again, like I I was lucky that I had, I worked for a company that wasn't very reactive uh, to firing people for things that were obvious mistakes. Like, it's not like I went in there to be like, okay, I'm going to screw this up and get them on TechCrunch. You know, (laughs) the fact that happened was just like out of my realm of thinking, you know? So yeah, I mean, I was just uh, lucky I had that. And I think that's important for newer developers coming up is to find that uh, environment where you have the ability to fail um, and sometimes like bad. And and because that's the best learning experiences, you know, you're not going to remember the times you screwed up like those little, you know, things. Yeah, in some ways, it's a lot more comfortable to learn from other people's uh, mistakes. but. It's not the same though. Definitely learn a lot faster from your own. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like exactly. Like get you sweating and you wondering if you're going to have a job the next day that you'll never forget that, you know, you'll always, that, that is just traumatic. And it's, um, 
I'm not saying like go and and screw up on purpose or anything like that. You know, it's just yeah. it's just basically saying like if you do, it's not the end of the world. And if you for some reason get fired, trust me, there's plenty of other companies that will hire you. So again, not saying go and, right. and destroy things. <laughs> just know that one, two, three mistakes in your career, big mistakes are not the end of your career. So I completely agree with what you're saying, that having an environment like that is really important. Yeah. And uh, you can seek it out. Like, how could someone seek that out? Like, is that something that you can look for? Or is it just you can see where you are and maybe there's red flags or, or good signs that you're in the right place and quit? Like, someone's listening to this, like, how can they get to an environment like that? Yeah, well, one of it is just pure luck. Um, but the other one is to look at their blog and see how they do postmortems. If they don't do po- postmortems, for the most part, you're probably like, okay, they. it's maybe safe to assume that they don't like to admit they're wrong and it might let you go Like if you do things mm. like that. But uh, companies that want to move fast and break things, as, as it's famously been put, you know, if you're looking at their blog and they're doing postmortems and they're understanding and trying to figure out how to prevent it from the future, I think that's one way. But to be honest, David, it's really luck. You know, it's just just because you, you join a company that has a very transparent blog doesn't mean the culture inside translates to that. So I think you start, you know, you start seeing red flags and, you know, you see gay people getting fired. It's probably maybe a good idea to jump ship or, stay. You know, it, it, some people thrive in, in environments like that. So, you know, it really depends on your temperament and how you deal with things and stress and all that. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, different environments, uh, good for different people. But it kind of seems like, I mean, I, I mean, I got to tell you, I don't love it when the and when you have to rely on luck, I feel like that's not super encouraging yeah, to, to totally. people listening. But I also do agree with you. I think public blogs is an interesting thing for bigger companies. I think smaller companies probably don't really. I don't know. That's probably not where they're going to put their resources is, especially like smaller things. I don't think they're going to put postmortems publicly. But I do think you can ask in an interview, or if you're just you know networking and asking somebody about their company culture, you can ask them like, oh, you know, if you have postmortems, or um, I think if you are at a company or not quite sure how to like what would happen in a mistake. I mean, I think you could probably can ask your manager and ask like, hey, like when was the last like big fuck up? Like what specifically mm-hmm. happened? Is that developer or DevOps person still at the company, you know? Yeah. (laughs) No, no, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Like definitely going into a new company through interview processes to not just talk to the recruiter about these things, but the actual people that you're going to be talking to and like, what's your experience on, you know, someone screwing up really bad, um, or have you done that? And just getting their reaction. So yeah, I think that's like Yeah. Yeah. I think it's 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 always also a difference when asking a questions more in the abstract. Like, oh, do you, you know, allow mistakes or like do you encourage <laughs> devs to be like okay with failure? Like, oh yes, absolutely. As opposed to like a concrete yeah, 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 yeah. Example. Like when's the last time 
you know, a developer has made like a serious mistake. And then if they can't really come up with one, that would be weird. I think it's hard to imagine yeah. a company where, where you don't have like weird outages or things like that. Well, I mean, there are some companies and I've, I've worked for two that are super secretive and, you know, it's like very, it's, it's weird because like you want to say things and you're just like, wait a minute, you know, I can get in a lot of trouble. So, but I think, I think during an interview process, people could let their guard down a little and be a little transparent. However, there are companies that will just be like, no, we don't talk about what happens in here out there. Yeah. I mean, that's also, I guess, like a good sign uh, or, or a, a strong signal for what you're, what you're looking at. How, in, in terms of, I guess, since we're talking about culture and making mistakes, because I know you're so uh, active on open source, like, are there parallels between some of the bigger open source projects uh, like Bootstrap or Font Awesome, jQuery, things like that, and companies? There, there absolutely is. I mean, there's been multiple times where we do a, we did a Bootstrap um, deploy, you know, like a not totally new version, but you know, uh, new features, and we would have to in either you know an hour or the next day launch a uh, a patch to that. So even big projects. It happens all Yeah, the time. yeah, yeah. I mean, it so even happens projects. in open source. Like uh, some people are like, think like, oh, open source is just like, you know, everything's so perfect. And, and since everything's public, you have to be so perfect. And it's just not, you know, even and, and people that are like at Bootstrap, like the maintainers, they're unbelievably brilliant, you know, like they're mm-hmm. doing things. Yeah. I mean, they work at big companies, like, they know the process, you know, and they, they know how everything works in an enterprise. And also they bring that to, to GitHub in the open source world. So, you know, even they screw up. That's, that's one thing that everyone has to really know is that even senior um, developers and engineers, they, they screw up. Yeah, one kind of like piece of advice I think that that's going to show, which is that it might be difficult for junior level dev get jobs, or more difficult to get jobs at companies that raise processes. But it could be comparatively easier to wind up contributing or at least observing, uh, just because a lot of these bigger pro- you know open source projects wind up transparent. Being able to get involved and kind of get experience. Is that something that you recommend for a junior or mid-level developer to try and get that experience via a large open source project? Or do you think that's something that later in a career or smaller one? No. Immediately. If you if you want to if you if you want to feel really special and uh, feel like in demand, start contributing to open source and getting some of your um, patches um, merged into the main branch and you'll be surprised how many recruiters start hitting you up on LinkedIn like hey saw you xx you know just saw you doing this would you uh, like to <laughs> hop on the phone let me be very clear that doesn't mean you have the job it means that you know you're going to start talking so don't go like quitting yeah. your other your day job yet <laughs> but no i mean like it's seriously like amazing how when you're active on on GitHub on uh, getting things merged, like recruiters, they're not stupid. Like, you know, they can be annoying from time to time, but everyone needs a recruiter eventually. So it's like, be nice to them. 
<laughs> but at the, yeah, so I mean, like they're they're watching GitHub. They might not know everything, but they know what to look for. And ones that are working for bigger companies are looking for the best of the best. And if you happen to be that, then they will reach out, and you know you'll get in the interview process. But yeah, I mean, but besides that. It's just good practice, you know, you're because you're working with a diverse set of folks, uh, you know, in different, they speak different languages, they live in different places. So it's like you're working at a remote company kind of part time, but you're not getting paid sometimes. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I mean, look, it's the same way, you know, if, if you see NBA players, like, They'll still play pickup games with their friends and stuff like that, and it's kind of like the same thing. We we're using a lot of sport analogies, <laughs> but you know, metaphors, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But what that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like it doesn't just end on the court. You know, it's like they play with their kids, they play with their friends. They they're human. If they love what they do, then they continue it outside of you know just you know pro games. So if you okay, so let's just say we rerun the the clock, and you're not as well known as you are, and you wanted to you wanted to to start contributing to open source. Like, how would you approach it? Like, how how would you get a patch or a commit landed in a well known open source project? Like, what would be what would be your plan if that was your? I would start small. Like, there's there's sites like First Timers Only. Um, there's also tags. I don't know when this is going to air, but right now there's Hacktoberfest. Uh, so there's a tag on on GitHub that you can follow. And a lot of companies are having like, you know, first timer. Um, it, could, it could be, you know, fixing the docs, you know, fix, fixing a, a spelling. Uh, no, that's not true. Not for Hacktoberfest. In but, general. You know, just, yeah, exactly. Finding like little tiny things that could be fixed. So you you get that adrenaline rush of the first time you're, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, like the first time something got merged into a big project or just a project that was, you know, had a hundred stars, you know, and I'm just like, oh my God, that was amazing. And yeah, I mean, it's just, just start small and work your way up. Just, just like anything in life, you know, it's like Rome wasn't built in a day. So, and same thing with, with coding and, and open source contributions, you start, you start small and you just build yourself up until you know like the lingo and the in the in the etiquette, you know, like when you're opening up like pull request and you know, just different things that can rub people the wrong way. Do that on smaller projects and then work your way up. But I mean it doesn't doesn't mean like you can't go to a big project and say like, hey, I, I found this vulnerability and uh here's here's a patch for it. I think that's just going to be a lot less lighter for a junior level. Dev. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I would, I would definitely just start small. Look for first timers only tags. Uh, good, good first issue. Um, there's a lot of like, there's a few websites there. I'm just kind of blanking, but like fish for, uh, that are like first timers only that just basically aggregate a bunch of issues that are softballs. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we can put we can put those resources in the uh, in the show notes for everyone. Yeah, uh, but it sounds it sounds like a a big part of what you were just saying size. And so if if you know a junior developer did want to do something larger, I mean, what what are the types of 
issues that they would face trying to get a larger feature or commit landed in a project? Well, m- most of the bigger projects, I mean, in their in their pull request template, they'll say like explicitly like, hey, if you're going to submit something like big, you need to talk to us first. Like, you know, because I we don't want you doing all this work and then us going, this is not in scope of what we're trying to do. Because just like companies, like a lot of these projects have specific goals and, and scopes that they're trying to stay in so they don't bloat into, you know, an everything for every one project. Um, you know, a lot of open source projects are libraries, you know, and they're it's like they, they want to they want to follow the Unix philosophy, which is you know do one thing well, you know, and not try to be the Swiss Army knife uh, for every Node.js issue or um, right, you know. So it's just like right, yeah. I I think that's the the biggest thing, and the, as I said earlier, it's the etiquette, you know, like going and and submitting a huge pull request without talking to anyone it's just like a total like it's like walking in someone's house and being like hey i'm gonna go grab something to eat <laughs> here's um here's some um lyrics i wrote down on a piece of paper if you want to read them but you know it's just like it's just yeah i mean i'm just like almost imagining like you just go in and start rearranging the furniture and be like no no trust me it's better this trust me it's better this way <laughs> exactly exactly and it's like who are you you exactly. know and it so yeah it's it's but i mean that's that's the thing i think a lot of folks don't realize about open source uh, especially like you know uh, juniors coming in is a lot of them are structured like companies where you know they have open collectives where they collect money to sustain the project but more than importantly, you know, they have the CI CD set up. Like everything, there's processes, there's governance, there's oversight, and there's just no one is going in and just saying, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do this because I want to. There's actually a big controversy in the .NET Foundation um, right now where the executive director broke her own rules and some and committed committed code without it getting reviewed by someone else like that's a that's a no-no especially in a larger open source project you know it's there's checks and balances to make sure that there's no vulnerabilities that are passed in and you know all these other things so it's it's important that you really just learn etiquette and make sure that you gotta understand like maintainers are dealing with so much they're dealing with pressures from the outside they're dealing with you know sometimes companies are sponsoring the project and they want specific issues taken care of quicker than other ones so Mm -hmm. there's some politics involved and that's just it's unavoidable it's unavoidable Mm -hmm. um so it's it's important to know like i'm always looking out for maintainers as i said in the beginning of this podcast that's what sustainers do we look out for maintainers and maintainers a lot of them don't get paid. So, you know, hearing the vast majority. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's, it's like, it's so important to be like, not take things personal. Like if they close your issue um, without really an explanation, you know, don't take it personal. Just be like, you know what? Okay. They didn't need that and move on to the next project. That's the biggest thing because look, I told you that recruiters are looking at GitHub. They're looking at, 
everything. They're not just looking at, you know, how many times you committed. They're looking at how you interact in right. in the issues. That can be huge. And in yeah. the forums. Right. I mean, you could hiring managers look at that for sure. Exactly. Especially nowadays where everything's very, very hypersensitive. Like if you say something that could be looked at as aggressive, you know, they're just like, why would we even take the chance? So it's please, it's easy to fall into outrage porn, but don't allow it to define who you are. You know, it's, you don't have to have the last word on everything. And I think a lot of, I don't say a lot, but just don't get into that. It, just trust me. Like if I'm a hiring manager and I'm I'm definitely going to look at your Twitter, I'm going to look at any communication, especially on GitHub. And if I see things that are like, whoa, that's kind of weird. Like that's the way you act there so in public. So how are you going to act in private? Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so the, you've covered a lot that that I want to want to get into. So probably the first was etiquette. The second, it seemed like you were really touching on the concept of risk and with like the checks and balances rules for for what gets deployed and whatnot. And then of course the the last one, which I think I kind of want to get into first. Which there's a lot of drama that can happen um, in these projects. You have a lot of people who care a lot about the direction of these things, uh, a lot of people who are sensitive, the greater meaning or implications of, of these decisions, and, you know, the internet and Twitter or GitHub issues or, or things like that can often make it even more difficult to amicably get everybody on the same page or, or solve them. And so you wind up with like huge flame war outrage things that, that I think I agree with you can be very, very attractive mm-hmm. to get involved. It's exciting. It's it's engaging. It really can get your, you know, <laughs> get your blood up. Um, but you have to, I think you have to keep in mind is, is if you do, if you choose that as your way of, uh, I'm going to, I guess, quote unquote, contributing, uh, you should be aware of how that looks. And um, there are many companies, there are many hiring managers that are just not going to be interested in in having somebody who presents publicly that way. Right. Uh, there, there might be, and if that, and I will say, if that is truly you, if there is some cause that you are very vocal about, and you think that your best way of getting attention is to be a firebrand really out there and a little bit outrageous uh, about, um, kind of recognize that you are going to be closing some doors in the service of opening others. Mm -hmm. And you are going to be talking a little bit more about developing a personal brand. And I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but that is a, that's kind of a very different road. And uh, just be, just be aware of sort of what your, your intentions are and what, what path that would lead you down. Um, okay, going back to the second one, which is risk. Do you find that like a lot of junior developers and mid-level developers don't actually have a good concept of of risk? I think this actually has a little bit of a through line in things that we've we've talked about before. Like maybe you didn't have a good idea of how risky it was to change things on the mailing list at Mahalo or people coming to an open source project and submitting like a big feature may not have a good sense of the risk that that would pose to a lot of people depend on that 
open source library, whatever. So I guess my question to you is, is there a way, like, has your thinking about the concept of risk as it applies to projects changed over time? Is, is it something that you could have communicated to yourself in the past and understood it? Or is it just a, look, it takes time and experience and wisdom? Yeah, I mean, for those those two big screw ups, I, I didn't, I guess I was either ignorant or just cocky. Like, I just, I don't even think cocky. I was just, I guess, uh, comfortable, like making the changes and not really thinking anything of it. And it just it kind of backfired, I guess, uh, without me like trying to, I was just, I was just trying to do my job, you know, and I screwed up and, you know, bad things happened. But again, the the moon didn't like drop out of, you know, <laughs> drop out of the sky. Like it, it wasn't like catastrophic, you know, but it was definitely, it left a mark on me. Like, and I think that's the thing with like just moving on up in your career is you're able to move up because you learn from the past and go, oh, you know what? I don't think you should be, you know, traumatized by, you know, certain mistakes in your career, but just, you know, learning from them and going, hey, you know what? Maybe. It, even if there's no processes in in a lot of startups don't have CI/CD set up, you know they're just scrappy and they're just trying to get things done. And I'll be honest, even legacy companies have the same thing. You know, it really depends on their discipline. But yeah, I mean, if you are doing something that's going to affect, it's going to touch a lot of people um, digitally. You know, and it'd probably be best. You know, hey, there's no CI CD. Let's, hey, Don, can you take a look at this? See, if I did that, if I said, hey, Don, can you look at this? I wouldn't have screwed up the um, the thing at MaxCDN, you know, because Don, he, he gave me a command to run. And um, I guess I like wrote like a script. And when I ran the script, it didn't run fully. I don't remember. I'm just kind of talking out of my butt. But, you know, it, it, it's just, asking for help. I think that's the biggest lesson here is don't feel afraid to ask for help because that's what that's what your coworkers are there for, you know? I mean, if you're asking every 3 seconds, yeah, that would be annoying, but you know, if there's things that you're not sure about or something that is going to touch a lot of people, um customers and there's no real processes in place to check it automatically, then it'd probably be best to get a review. Yeah, so so I really like that you you bring that up because I do think that there are a lot of tech or or steps strategies that can really reduce the likelihood of mistakes or bugs or things like that. And so, like you just mentioned, relying on your team, and and so that that can be different ways. It could just sort of be like an in, informal type of like, hey, could you get another pair of eyes on could be more of a formal code review. Mm -hmm. I think even something like pair programming works uh, really, really well uh, for something like this. And each one of those sort of reduces the chance of, of something slipping through the, the cracks. Another, another, another person just being able to know is likely to go wrong. Uh, of course, there's, there's other ones that you mentioned too, right? So CICD, uh, automated testing, various levels of that, unit tests, integration tests, smoke tests, full end-to-end, -end, all of those will be able to, you know, to some extent, be able to recognize like, oh, this is going to screw things up. 
And then there, you know, there's other other ones too that are, you know, tend to be pretty simple that may or may not catch. That would be things that automatically style your codes. You know, I'm thinking of, right. you know, linting. one of the weird, yeah, yeah, linting also uh, a big one. And so all of these, you know, layered together can really help. Another big one is just, you know, checklists and and standard operating procedures, you know, yep. before I, uh, and and you you actually kind of touched on this with the, the PR templates projects. Uh, so oftentimes when you're about to do a PR, uh, it'll fill in this template for you where you got to answer these questions. So that's kind of forcing uh, you, the developer, to run down this checklist of things. And what's really interesting is I know personally and Feel like so many people I've talked to when I ask them about particular mistakes that that have happened, it's always it, not always. It's often that like, oh yeah, well I just thought this was so simple I didn't need to you know do the checklist, and lo and behold there was thing that popped up that would have gotten caught in the checklist. So yeah, there was there was actually a study done of doctors that did physical checklists before surgeries. And there was less fatalities with doctors, not a digital checklist, like a, like a old school paper, <laughs> like, it, did we do this? Check, 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 check. And um, I'll probably find the study and put it in the show notes. But I mean, that's pretty amazing, like less fatalities because of checklist. And that's really, I mean, I, I always have pen and paper. I mean, I have pen and paper next to me right now. Like there's just always... Uh, it's just a good thing um, to do. I remember at, when I was at MaxCDN, one of my bosses, um, before we did a, a release, um, we were a very small team within the organization, and we did physical paper and pen checklists to make sure that because the the team I was on was really it was it was like a labs uh, situation where we couldn't really tax the engineer, you know, Max CDNs, the outside of the labs, their engineering. So we had to make sure like it, it if we, we, if we had to reach out to them, it had to be very, very important. So yeah, you, weren't, you weren't there to create more work for them. Exactly. They had enough. Yeah. Exactly. So with us, with me screwing up again, um, <laughs> we created this just checklist where, you know, go talk to this person, make sure blah, 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 you know, just talking to each department to be like, hey, we're going to deploy this and it's going to affect you this way. Like even the finance, like, hey, we're adding this into our, um, into the ad cart, you know, into the shopping cart uh, checkout process. And so when you see a transaction come in, you might see, you'll, you'll probably see this from now on. So just letting you know. So just, just, Checklists are so important. I mean, yeah. yeah, you could do them digitally too, which I do as well. Like I do paper and pen because I'm just neurotic like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the point is that it's whatever works. But yeah. I, I do think that yeah, people can get into trouble if they're they're relying too much on on fallible memory or to to use your word cocky that that'll ah, be fine. I I know to get that this time. But hey, Justin, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? Uh, I think the best way is justindorfman.com. Um, I started a newsletter not too long ago. And my Twitter and other talks from the past and articles I've written. Yeah, so just justindorfman.com. Nice. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining me today. 
Yeah, thank you, David. It was really uh, it was a pleasure. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. Recruiting at tech events can be one of the best ways to find and hire senior software engineers. Unfortunately, it's easy to make simple mistakes and wind up with no leads. Grab my free 12-point recruiting checklist to maximize your sponsorship investment at superstruct.tech slash event recruiting checklist.